If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Man, I love those fucking chocolates. I've, I've never fucking had one. They're so That's fucking cool. good, man. They are honestly one of my favourite chocolates. Full stop. I'll probably give them to you. Just take them with you. It's ridiculous that they're so delicious. Yeah, where do they come from? They are good. I don't know, man. Like fucking Belgian. Mm, they're like it's fucking delicious, man. They're like perfumed or something. Oh my they're god, fucking good, aren't they? Yeah. Hello, welcome back to the Unsung Podcast uh, with our special guest, Benjamin John Power, a.k.a. Ben Power, a.k.a. Blank Mass. Hi, Ben. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he has a fresh drink. We've given him a few slaps by an open window. That's right. And he's back uh, in the game. Uh, <laughs> this part of it is dedicated to a number of recommendations that Ben put forward to me and David and Mark, but Mark's not here, so forget Mark, that, uh, <laughs> of, of albums that are unsung classics. And... Yeah, we'll, we'll prepare to get ripped in them, but I thought, you know what, we should do a, we should do a Nexus for Ben, in honour, uh, as his guests in his house. I also believe that Ben might be able to do his own Nexus. <gasps> so, shall we, Chris, do you want to do yours, and then uh, let's see if Ben can top it. Ben, you understand the, the script with the Nexus. Oh yeah. Do you want me to go first, or do you feel like... Uh, I feel like mine might be a slightly uh, an anticlimax if coming perfect. off the oh, back of yours. It's, it's like having Mark. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> have Mark. <so> <laughs> mine is like one step or something stupid, so yeah, I, I feel I, like... Either I've, one or 40. Yeah, really. yeah, There's yeah. no middle ground to Mark. Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, we'll play some of Fritz's Nexus jingle. It's the Unsung Podcast. Dave Gromexus need to find a way to connect the show to that guy. For playing in Nirvana, to hanging with Obama. He knows lots of folk, so stands to reason we'll find a way. It's the 
Am I going first then? Yeah, you go first. All right. I'm all, I'm all set for this, clearly. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to this, actually. Uh, so, Ben, mm. you. Yeah, well, well, that's up for debate, isn't it? If, anything. <laughs> if you are indeed. Yeah. Uh, at one point, Ben, or the real Ben Power, remixed John Carpenter. Um, a track called Fallen, I think, from Lost Themes Remixed. Is that correct? That is correct. Is that check out with your fake memories? That's, that's all good, yeah. <laughs> couple of things about John Carpenter. He once wrote a movie with John Wayne. Wow. Yep. Uh, which never happened because John Wayne died. Uh, and he also offered to do a, a crossover film of Hellraiser and Halloween called Halloween uh, Uniting Pinhead and Michael Myers. So you get a chance to work with Clive Barker. That is not an April Fool's. Wow. All That's right. actually true. That mm. would have actually been good as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what he did do was he directed... An unsung classic of, of 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 its own in 1988, They Live, mm-hmm. uh, with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper was at one point, as I think I've mentioned in the past, on Infowars with Alex Jones, a man who spent the week in court debasing himself as he tried to snivellingly backpedal from his horrendous Sandy Hook slurs against the parents that have had to suffer all the fucking wackos that listen to Alex Jones accusing them of being crisis actors. Uh, Alex Jones, uh, this took me a, a little uh, by surprise, was in the films Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. Wow. Exactly. Huh. What the fuck? Turns out Alex Jones is pals with Richard Linklater. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, weird. It is weird, right? Yeah. Richard Linklater apparently is like a card-carrying uh, libertarian. Uh, oh, for fuck's sake. And a Texan. Apparently Richard Linklater used to curate... A shelf of conspiracy theory movies in a famous Texan uh, video rental store. Uh huh. Yeah, as part of his brand, no doubt. Um, Richard Linklater, uh, as it turns out, uh, but incongruously also directed School of Rock featuring Jack Black. And obviously, the, the Tenacious D link would be too easy, and we've used it before. Obviously. But better than that, uh, Jack Black, Dave Grohl, and Val Kilmer uh, recently played a ghost band haunting a, a recording studio in the Yahoo web series Ghost Girls. Um, the band was called Sweet River and the Huckleberry Dogs. Wow. Nexus complete. <clears throat> That's pretty good. All right. Richard Linklater, the way. Fuck's sake. I'm not going to watch those films the same again. <laughs> it's right. like when you watch The Matrix and Fight Club and then realise that every fucking proud boy and alt-right cock in the world has interpreted them to be backing up their fucking stupid well, shit. Well, actually, I introduced Amy, my uh, fiance, to The Usual Suspects last week, and that's obviously got a tinge to it now. Mm. With old uh, Big Kev. Mm. You, I mean, you know he's a bad guy already. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, well, he's obviously the bad guy because he's a fucking pervert. But uh, anyway. Wow. Anyway, uh, it's good. Yeah, great stuff, guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. David, do you have one? I, I mean, yes. Well, so black mass and fuck buttons uh, stuff was used in uh, the 2012 Olympic ceremony, which was directed by Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. Danny Boyle directed uh, Trainspotting, Trainspotting 2. Trainspotting and Trainspotting 2 featured Kelly MacDonald, mm-hmm. uh, who also featured in a lot of great films and stuff. Kelly MacDonald is married to Dougie Payne. Who's from that? the Scottish band Travis. Travis. Uh, right. I see him walking by a cafe drinking something. So. Oh, yeah. Travis, uh, actually, I think their like, big break came when they played at Glastonbury in 1999 and they did their singles like Why Does It Always Rain On Me and they got replayed and replayed on uh, BBC and everybody's like, oh, Oh, it's by Travis. Uh, Glastonbury 1999 was also headlined by R.E.M. Mm. And uh, Dave Grohl last year revealed how uh, Nirvana once slept over at uh, Peter Buck's house. On his couch. Yeah. On his couch. Mm. Yeah. And that is the. I mean, Dave I've used Grohl that one exercise. before, but uh, I'm not going to yeah, split hairs. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, was at, I was at Reading in 99. It was a far better affair with Silverchair. Red Hot Chili Peppers, Terror Vision, oh my Offspring, God. You know, Fun Loving Criminals. Yeah, really I feel like I me. would have been at that one, but I don't remember seeing any of those bands. Oh, Maybe I wasn't. They were actually good bands at that one as well, but those were the, the main stage, man, and well, uh-huh. they were special. So Ben, uh, sorry Mark, sorry Ben, understand yeah. what <laughs> is your Nexus? You have a disappointing Nexus for us. Well, it's very short. <laughs> Go for it. Fuck Buttons once got asked to support them crooked vultures well there you are Which <laughs> features, no. and we, did, we didn't do it yeah <laughs> that, he's in that band right yeah, yeah. Is, is, I mean, so is John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin right. there you go um, is yeah. that was there did you not do it because Dave Grohl <laughs> no 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 we we didn't do it because of timing something I don't, I don't know I can't remember the exact reason why but that was a, that was a thing yeah. I heard a rumour that there's actually an even more disappointing band that you didn't support or act that you didn't support uh, Lou Reed at the, at the Sydney Opera House, yeah, fuck off. A good couple of years ago, it was around that kind of time when we'd been touring so much. We had to give ourselves a cut off point. This was fuck buttons, by the way. We had to give ourselves a cut off point. Lou Reed was doing um, what is it? Met- metal machine, metal machine music, mm-hmm. metal machine music. Yeah, he was touring that, and he had asked um, fuck buttons to support. We we said no because of the reasons that I just stated. Mm-hmm. He kept on changing the, the the deal, kept on getting changed, like the the offer kept on going up, and it got to the point where he said that he was willing to play live on stage with us. Um, <laughs> That's ridiculous. And we still didn't do it. Now, am I not... You are so hard to get. So I, yeah. I, I think that would have been about 2010... Yeah, that sounds about right. Because yeah. that was about yeah. like, 35 years since Metal Machine music yeah. came out. I think he later on that year then went on to record Lulu with Metallica. That came out late 2011. Right, right, right. So, I mean, what I'm saying here is if you had <laughs> done that show with Lou Reed, yeah, well. the world may never have got Metallica's uh, <laughs> Lulu because he, he, he might have wanted to do an album with you instead. Wow! Yeah, there where you we, go. Where would wow. we be now? 
Yeah, thanks for resting that blame at my. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, that, that can I just say Lulu by Metallica and Lou Reed has one of the worst scores on Metacritic of all time. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so there you go. I am taken aback. Yeah, my dad was uh, very disappointed in me. I, I, ju- I just say that. Actually, yeah. that understandably, you you did own one for that one. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Your West Ham tattoo is, you know, <laughs> is you making up for it? Yeah. Um, just harking back to my talking about they live. Metacritic gives they live fifty six percent. I saw you mention that, that earlier. Is, that is yeah. fucking ridiculously yeah, but low. Surely that includes like, oh, uh, like critics of the time. Does it not like reviews at the time? I think even if it does, yeah, but that's why it's a cult film. It wasn't really didn't get commercial success. I'm pretty like it sure about it. I mean, see well, what you, you want. Can't, about, you can't trust people, can you? See, no, I mean, obviously, see what you want about Rotten Tomatoes, but at least Rotten Tomatoes, it's like. 88 or 93 or something like that like, mm. It's a really really good film Albeit another film Reappropriated by the alt-right Yeah Oh yeah Yeah. Well. Anyway uh, So Fritz, as we do bit, on Bit of Fritz Oh Bit of Fritz to plays out Alright you guys ready? Are you ready? Here we go Okay, so as we do uh, on our interview uh, sessions, we uh, invite our interviewee to choose three albums that they think are unsung. So you've gone for a, a varied mix here. Um, well, you had to whittle it down as well, but we'll give the did, last. Yeah. We'll give yeah. a few an honorary mention at the end. But uh, so I think we'll we'll just do it chronologically. Uh, mm-hmm. Kicking off uh, with a band called Syrinx. Syrinx. Uh, and something to do with a cavity of spinal fluid. Uh, yeah, and the record's Long Lost Relatives. That's the one. Yeah. So tell us about it. What is it? I actually only came into. Uh, I, I only learned about this record actually from a um, the band even um, through a modular synth documentary. I went through uh, a phase of. We all go through that phase. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and then and then you realise you can't afford to pay your rent, and then you have to stop. Um, but yes, there's a there's a modular synth documentary called "I Dream of Wires," uh, and uh, Syrinx, um What's his name? John Mills Cockle. John Mills He's Cockle. Like guy, yeah, he? he was he was interviewed in this. Uh, in this documentary that came out a few years ago and I'd, I'd never heard of them before. So I, you know, I looked into it and I, this, this record has been ever since a, a, a favorite of mine. So they're a Canadian group that, from Toronto. Yeah. yeah Toronto. Yeah. And they sort of released music from 1970 to 1972. Yeah. This, this was the second album. Um, the original mm. version of this album was destroyed in a fire in the studio. That's right. And, you know, I, I, I like to think that the album is called Long Lost Relatives talking about their lost synths in the fire. <laughs> I think that's like a nice way of looking yeah, at it. Yeah, apparently uh, Cockle, the guy you mentioned, 
he went to see Robert Moog in 68 and picked up that prototype Moog, uh, was it Moog Modular Mark II P or whatever it was, the a super rare, unbelievably valuable yeah. uh, synthesizer that was in destroyed in that studio fire. Yeah. yeah. And they and they didn't use Moog stuff for Moog Moog, however you want to however you want to pronounce it. Only recently has Syrinx started to use Moog stuff again, you know, mm-hmm. however many years afterwards. Yeah, they, re- they reformed in 2017. Reformed and played the, the Moog, Moog fest, yeah. Uh, I also noticed that the track Tilikum from this mm-hmm. album, it was it received national attention at the time because it was theme music On the from, tele, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, from the Canadian like documentary Here Come the 70s. That's right. Which is yeah, like yeah. a sort of Tomorrow's World vibe yeah. thing. And I watched the the intro to that, uh-huh. and it's just it's fucking incredibly seventies. So seventies, uh, yeah, and it's got yeah. like this naked woman who walks into the sea. That's right. And yeah. then your astronauts and stuff. It's fucking brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, an interesting bit of trivia about these guys. Do you know they toured opening for Miles Davis when he was doing the Bitches Brew tour? That's right. That uh, is mental. Like, I mean, yeah. given the style of music as well, it's really cool. It's very yeah. open-minded and yeah, yeah, inclusive. Sure. Uh, they also played with Ravi Shankar, which I think makes a little bit more sense it when does. you hear it. Yeah. yeah. Because um, the the drony aspect to it and the, the modality of it and stuff is is quite reminiscent of some of that some of that stuff. What is it about it that you you find so stimulating? You know, I I don't usually kind of buy into this kind of freak out stuff, if you know what I mean. I, I'm definitely prone to that stuff, you know, within like an like with noise music and such. But I, I yeah, I've never really kind of heard anything from that era that has kind of resonated with me so much. Like the sounds that they use are very human. It's it to, to me, it's beautiful. December Angel is one of the most beautiful tracks I can I can think of right now, actually. It's a wacky album, I think. <laughs> like that was what I was thinking of. I think it's wacky. Yeah, it's it quite definitely, wacky, but it does have a eccentricity, an eccentricity, and almost a kind of cartoony element to it, actually. Which I, usually I would run a mile from. But their their self titled the previous album, the one that came out in nineteen seventy, has almost an eight bit quality to some of the tones and some of the styles mm-hmm. on it, and some of the moments. That, To be honest, I, I quite I started to kind of warm to the earlier one. It's it's a it, it's pretty 
it's of its time. I think my biggest issue with these is that they are dated, but of course they're dated. They're so mm-hmm. old, and they were pioneers. I mean, who was? I mean, who were their peers at the time? Craftwork, obviously, but I mean, who? Yeah, else? it's very crouty. Yeah, I mean, mm, who, who was really pushing the boundaries with synths in seventy in this kind of way? I mean, they they definitely like touch upon like a Raymond Scott kind of thing, but I mean, these are these are songs. You know, these are like neoclassical songs almost. Mm-hmm. I think. It's coming from a radiophonic workshop place, but it's obviously like highly um, influenced by, you know, music that's not necessarily Western. And yeah, I, I, you know, to me, it's like it's a it's a real strong pioneering album. I do think that you know, given the given the criteria for for an unsung classic, it it has definitely had an influence on the people who have maybe gone on to gain higher profile amongst certainly our generations. People like Boards of Canada are obviously mm-hmm. quite interested in these guys. Stuff like Depeche Mode and stuff as well. You can tell that they've, there's been a fascination with the work they were doing, even though musically it might not seek to emulate it. There's a lot of like really interesting exploration that's been built upon mm-hmm. during it and i mean it's like a two two years uh, as a band yeah to, to to make such a dent in people's uh, psyche is pretty remarkable it's an interesting one because i feel like there's a like a, a real trend within the expert like, electronic music now towards gear fetishism and i feel like oh, yeah, they were they were maybe i think until that reared its head they were kind of unknown, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old uh, Moog Fest is now. I, I think it's maybe only been going on for about like three or four years or something like that. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a little longer, but Syrinx came out of hibernation and I'm not even too sure who else plays in Syrinx. Maybe it was just like Cockle Solo, actually. I'm not sure. I haven't seen any footage of it, but it seems like that was the um, impetus for people to start paying attention to Syrix again, which to me seems like a little bit of an injustice, but I'm, you know, I'm happy it happened. And yeah. also the, it was reissued on Revenge as well, which, mm. you know, a trendy label. I think it, it, just to, to kind of give credit where it credits due as well, I think prior to Syrinx were people like Delia Derbyshire. Of course, yeah. Doing, doing, yeah. doing a lot of uh, groundbreaking work with synths and modulars yeah. and, you yeah. know. But yeah, I mean, I can I can definitely see the merits and I think from a purist's perspective, it's a really, really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm not going to give it much in the way of repeated listens, uh-huh. but it, as a, it, for a completest perspective... It surprises me, actually. Really? But anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I feel kind of guilty, didn't you? Now? No, it's interesting, like, because your band, I think, takes a lot from the sort of, like, crowdy element, but then this, I don't know, I can, this sort of free-formy wig-outs of your band... My band takes just as much from this. Animal House, the National Lampoon. It's a shambles. It's not even a. Let's not try and emotionally leverage me into it. <laughs> um, so uh, next on the list, then we have a fucking really good album 
by now you introduce it man because it's yours which we do now chronologically okay so this is so it's iron monkey our our problem yeah by iron monkey yeah Brutal. Fucking brutal. Extremely brutal. Yeah, it came out in 1998 on Eurek Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iron Monkey were... They were from Nottingham, I think. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, Middle mm-hmm. England. Um, so I described, generally speaking, as sludge metal, but I think there's more to them than that might suggest. Um, a lot of, like, really, really heavy blues, a lot mm-hmm. of noise rock, a lot of just heavy metal, um, in a kind of Black Sabbath kind of sense. Even like stuff like moments of like kind of orange goblin-y groove and things like that. They're a really, really good band. I think one of the things that really sets them apart is um, Johnny Morrow's vocals. 100%. The feral, really, really uncomfortable nature of that guy's approach to singing. Not the kind of gruff growling, not the kind of sort of crooning, not the barking, not the, the high-pitched black metal. It's something totally distinct and way more deranged. Because it sat somewhere in the middle of that and was completely unhinged in its own way. It's odd because when you think of like uh, the caveman style of vocals that you get in Cannibal Corpse and stuff like that, it's completely outside of that even. it's mm-hmm. Feral is the best way to describe it. It's extremely deranged. Yeah, it's way it's re- more... really unique. I yeah. think a lot of death metal, the although the vocals have that, they're all of one level of mm-hmm. evil, <laughs> whereas yeah. this is like all over the place, but I yeah. think, which makes it sound really... I, try to, I was trying to kind of pin this down, and I think what it is is with death metal and black metal... And that kind of stuff. There's a, there, there's a trope there that they're playing up to. They're, they're of a genre. This is what we do. This is the style of singing we do. And it's almost a bit pantomime And I think for people that aren't invested in the genre, they hear it and it's kind of absurd. It's kind of a little bit ridiculous. The thing with Regions... Uh, Regions... <laughs> <laughs> Close. Think about I hate God is. <laughs> the thing with Iron Monkey is that they seem to come at it without that sense of pantomime and as a result it's way more visceral and way more intimidating because the, you can't just laugh off the vocals like oh they're doing that funny woo, 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 thing or they're doing that funny mm-hmm. yeah, 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 thing this guy is just it is just full on and it's just really caustic i feel like with a lot of these kind of like slasher metal bands as well you can from time to time find the vocals kind of humorous but mm-hmm. there's it like Johnny Morrow's vocals are, are nothing but harrowing. There's nothing funny about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe if, you know, your your parents were listening to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his bandmates talked about how his vocals were remarkably resilient. Uh, his voice was remarkably resilient as well. They said he very rarely lost his voice. He very rarely struggled on tour. It was something that came really naturally to him. Uh, and he, he didn't have any problem maintaining it, despite, you know, the usual lifestyle of having a drink here and there and... It, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnny Morrow obviously died 
uh, quite young, in 2005, I think it was he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, from it was 2002. So yeah, heart attack. In 2002, yeah. from a heart attack that seemed to kind of be the consequence of kidney failure uh-huh. uh, or a, a kidney disease that he was fighting with at the time. Apparently, they were on tour in Europe, and he, be, I think, they were in Poland, maybe, um, and he failed. He was in an, uh, this was after they'd split up. He was in another band. Yeah, which I actually have an interesting kind of tie-in with. Actually, was it Murder One? Murder One. Yeah. yeah. Well, in a nutshell, they, he fell very, very ill when they were on that trip. They tried to contact Eric and his management to uh-huh. arrange for him to be flown home. They were like, can you can you advance us some money to get Johnny home? He's really unwell. They'd taken him to a doctor over there and the doctor said, it's really important you take him home. He could die. And he eventually got home, but only as a result of help from a band called Propane. Right. Who gave them the money to get him back. And uh, he he was really, really ill and eventually passed away. But I think that severed their connection with Eric, who they have a very poor opinion of. Now, right. in subsequent interviews and in subsequent years, mm-hmm. they say they've never seen any of the royalties from their catalogue <coughs> following that. A really acrimonious ending to, the, That's a shame. to their dealings with Neerake is Nottingham label too, right? Based yeah, in Nottingham. I think so, yeah. yeah. I have to mention that uh, my, my connection here, the band that I was talking to you about earlier that I was in. Deadlock? Deadlock, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. The, the guitarist from Deadlock um, in a later lineup actually ended up joining Murder One and was in Murder One with Johnny Mara. I think the singer that took over from him was from Glasgow, was he not? Yeah, you might be right. Um, I think he was. I think the old... Like, they, so they're playing again now, Ryan Monkey. And As a three-piece. Yeah, and the guitarist is now... The vocalist. Vocal He's really as good well. as well. They have mm. an album that uh, came out 2017. David, oh, they do? David and I were listening to it on the way up. It's called 913 or something like that. The, the name it's, I think it's 9 slash 13. Right. It's actually pretty decent. It's not... It's it's different tonally. Obviously, it's a three-piece. It's a little bit more noise rock now, and I'm not so sure that the drumming tries to maybe do a little bit too much. Right. Uh, I think the drummer's actually since left and been replaced again. But, mu- but they still really work as a band. It's a different style though. Because I mean, mm. at one point they were a five-piece and now they're a three-piece. Yeah. I mean, they don't live in a vacuum. Raging Speedhorn are an obvious reference point. I hate God. An obvious reference point. Uh, even like bands like Today's a Day when mm. they were doing a noise core thing. There's huge bits of Black Sabbath uh, on uh, th- in a lot of their stuff. Their first EP, yeah. the Iron Monkey EP, has a couple of riffs that are very, very Sabbath. Um, and also a band called Grief, who were kind of contemporaries and slightly before them, but big influences on them. I think they drew a lot from that. Um, also, uh, the Justin Greaves, the one of the original members, joined yeah. Cripple Black Phoenix. That's right. Yeah. Man from Mogwai. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Um, this is a really good album. 
it's, I, I, it's my favourite metal album, I think. Ever? I think so, yeah. It is ferocious. Which is interesting because it's it's far away from what a lot of metal tries to be Mm -hmm. and that it's not cleanly produced. It's not like... Maybe that's the attraction. Yeah, like for me, that's what I find. um, Like I'm really put off by, you know, all of these pro-tooled... Says the guy that picked Catch 33 by Michelle. I I know, but that's like a (laughs) one-off piece of magic. But normally, yeah, normally I really like this much punkier metal. Yeah, I mean, it embraces a lot of the original sentiment of metal by being unfussy, by being messy and abrasive in a in a genuine sense, not in a kind of overproduced sense. Yeah, I think a lot of that is lost in metal now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, lost yeah. In, I really struggle to find new metal that I like. It's well, not lost, new metal. It's lost. I love new metal. Hey, yeah. <laughs> you struggle to find new metal that you like. Let me tell you, corn. You love, you love them. Um, I think uh, it's the same with punk as well, though. I mean, a lot of that's gone from punk music as well. It's hard to find punk music that really taps into the original spirit. This is really representative of a great era. In, in metal albeit it couples it with quite bluesy mm-hmm. stylings I think and that's that's a big part of it as well interesting little bit of um, trivia on this as well important for metal, metal albums uh, Iron Monkey have a logo called the uh, Monkeygram, mm-hmm. uh, the six 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 with a monkey's oh, yeah. face in it. It was designed yeah, yeah, by a member yeah. of the band. But the the cover art for this album is by uh, a guy called Mike Diana, who's an American artist, and he uh, I don't know if he still is, but he was the first American to ever be given a criminal conviction for artistic obscenity. Really? Um, wow. He used to draw really graphic violent, disturbing cartoon imagery and he did uh, a, a series of graphic novels, I think they were called Boiled Angel, uh-huh. like 1 to 8 uh, Johnny Morrow was a big fan of I think it was particularly number 7 um, but I mean really quite you know, brutal, you know, ridiculous violent and also just yeah. like violent, violent, gory violent uh, but it was he, he lived in Florida and I mean he claims he was the victim of a bit of a um, it's sort of heavy handedness in the part of the floor of the police, but yeah, he ended up being a uh, uh, prosecuted for obscenity, which is very, very, very uh, much in the face of you know the First Amendment and the American you yeah, know championing of free speech. Yeah, and I think sure. that's why the band chose to feature him on the cover as a bit of solidarity. Uh, the art's great. It's really when you fold it out to the full image, it is. <laughs> it's something else, yeah. yeah it's I've, mental. I've, I've been looking to find this on a T-shirt for some time. But yeah, I, I don't. Th- I, yeah, I don't think it exists. You can get the no. monkey. You can get the monkey ground, but that's not by. Uh, no, Mike, Mike no, no. I've been looking for the uh, the album cover T, and yeah, I, I just can't find it. But um, yeah, brilliant record. Uh, really full on. I'll chuck in a bunch of samples here, but uh, I nice. think this one probably gets my vote. But that said, your third choice. This is an empty bliss beyond this world by Caretaker. 
Uh, so this was released in 2011, I think. Uh, so it's the most recent one. Mm-hmm. And was it that long ago? Yeah, yeah. And so oh, the care- shit. Uh, the this, was his, this was his eighth album, by the way. Well, at I'll, least at least eight, for not including all these other side. I was going to yeah. say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, yeah. Um, the caretaker is the uh, pseudonym for James Leland Kirby. Leland yeah, also, James Kirby, yeah, 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 yeah. AKA the Stranger, <clears throat> AKA V slash VM. Yeah, yeah, VVM. I mean, this. I mean, his first album under this moniker was uh, songs from the haunted. Is some from the haunted ballroom. Uh-huh. And Selected the, memories from the haunted ballroom. Yeah, yeah. so which was specifically a reference yeah, to The Shining. A, a reference to yeah. yeah, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It exactly mm-hmm. sounds like the scenes when Jack Nicholson walks into the the bar yeah. in, in The Shining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, Hi, Lloyd. Been away, but now I'm back. Good evening, Mr. Torrance. It's good to see you. It's good to be back, Lloyd. What would be so? Reverb and ghostly sort of like 1930s uh, type songs that he'd been bin diving in, you know, various charity shops and yeah. brought them out. Um, so I don't know. Tell us about this one. He seems like an interesting character, is well. He's a very interesting well, character. I, yes, he is. Tell <clears> us about the album, and then I want to get some your little story about his letter. But the, I think there's something to be said about this. Is uh, such an ostentatious exhibition of sampling here. You know, it's other people's music. He's 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 curated this essentially. Um, there's a very like singular vision with what he what he does as the caretaker. Um, you know, the caretaker is a character as well, which is also a really interesting thing. It sounds beautiful. It throws up a lot of questions about, like, ownership as well, which I think is is really interesting. I mean, he's a provocateur. But it's very special. This this particular one, I think, for everything that you've just mentioned. This you know, was his breakthrough, technically. Uh, made a lot. Of it end, was yeah. End the year best of lists as yeah. well. Yeah, which is which is which is which is crazy for something that is solely you know a curation of existing music. Uh, you know that other people have made. But, it, yeah. So what he, what he did <clears> was he I think it was in Brooklyn in twenty ten. He bought a whole load of like old ballroom. Uh, 78s and then this record is well, it's not just him sampling that but it's also dealing with the concept of uh, how music interacts with uh, Alzheimer's isn't it Yeah, and yeah. memory, and so you can see the whole concept of the record as it works. How some of the samples have become sort of degraded. De- de- yeah, like a, like in a Basinski style. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, interestingly enough, he gave the character of the caretaker dementia when he when he decided he was going to put an end to the project. Mm-hmm. 
you know, which is a first as far as yeah, I absolutely. as far as I'm aware. Like you mentioned uh, William Brzezinski, uh, who who's well, his masterpiece is probably Disintegration Loops. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, yeah, the, the the degradation of them is yeah, it's a reference to the the erosion of the memory by uh-huh. Alzheimer's, but also the fact that music is one of, apparently one of the last things to go with Alzheimer's, even after names and even visual like hallucinations and things start to set in. Mm-hmm. Um, music seems to like persevere up until a certain point, um, so it's 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 imbued with a sense of tragedy and melancholy. Yeah. As, a, as a result of that, as a as are a lot of um, releases under the, that title, uh, this project. Uh, he did say that the focus in these is not the music that's being played, it's how they are edited. Is mm-hmm. it the music yeah. itself is like a singular instrument. For sure. And the editing is the performance. Yeah. Uh, versus the, the constituent parts of the I music. mean it, it it says something about somebody um when they're dealing with loops in such a way. See seeing how somebody focuses in on like these certain like particular phrases is it's I mean it's beautiful it's beautifully curated, I think. Yeah, I, th- I it's think... It's very special. Like, I, I really fell in love with this record, and I think it works kind of on three different levels in that... So each thing that he does has a concept, so there's, mm-hmm. like, a conceptual significance to everything that he does, and you can you can appreciate it artistically even just by reading about it yeah. without ever hearing it. And you go, oh, that's just a really interesting concept for a record. Mm-hmm. You can then appreciate it on a technical level and go, holy fuck, I love how he has sampled that and how he's worked that in. But then finally on the third level for me is that I just really liked listening to this record. Yeah, It really works as an album. Um, See, I follow, so- I follow you up to stage three there. I think I love the concept. I really love the ingenuity and the narrative around it is amazing. I think it's very, very much high art. I just found the repeated listen part of it uh, wasn't there for me. It's the wow. the style of music yeah. that it's built around is not something that elicits any real emotional response from me. So as much as I was able to cerebrally enjoy and appreciate the mastery of what the guy was doing, I, I found on a perfectly basic level of pleasure though it, it wasn't really engaging me the which is here is that Chris is dead inside so that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the level of it plus I don't play Bioshock and uh, Bioshock the soundtrack to Bioshock the game is if you're trying to imagine what it is we're talking about without hearing the samples that I'm putting in uh, imagine Bioshock It's that dreamy, woozy, 1930s, eerie, unsettling thing. That, that, yeah, that, that, I find it weird that you don't have any sort of... Nost- I mean, obviously, we didn't grow up in the 30s, but surely, like, through, I don't know, the stuff that we've and, seen, yeah, 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 like, a huge amount of art, then connects nostalgically somehow to mate, memories. I, mate, I fucking hate Dad's Army, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man, well, no, we're I mean, obviously that, on different wavelengths here. That, that era of music does absolutely nothing for me whatsoever. I really, really don't enjoy it. Oh. The the, uh, re, the 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 appropriation of it through this project, I think, is really, really interesting. Uh-huh. But if you just put on music of that era, it is completely emotionally meaningless to me. What it does not do anything whatsoever. No, no, I hate it. I hate it. You hate it. <laughs> wow. That, 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 that's sort it. of like the, in between the war, like the era of especially British and American sort of swing and ballroomy. Oh fuck that shit! I hate it so as much as I I I really love the concept behind this. It's 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 so pretentious, but so good in its pretension. The actual vessel for it, that music is just it leaves me totally cold. So how do you, how do you feel about VVM? I didn't listen to enough of VVM. Okay. I listened to some of the Leland Kirby stuff, which I liked uh-huh. better. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought that was really interesting, uh, pretty abstract, but um, nah. No, um, not for you. Not for me. He's, uh, his, uh, his album artwork is always the same painter as well, Ivan Seal. Yeah, I wonder I'm a that, huge fan of. Yeah, I didn't actually. look that up, but I did wonder yeah. because the artwork is gorgeous. Yeah. Really, really nice. Yeah. i tell you one thing I did enjoy a lot, and it's one of the ones that you were going to pick and you didn't. Yeah, I know, because you've been bullying me about this for the past <laughs> month or however long. Uh, it's a band called Stars of the Lid. Mm-hmm. fucking love Stars of the Lid. Me too. And I hadn't really given any time to Stars of the Lid in my life uh, until you'd initially sort of shortlisted them for this. Do you want no. to tell us a wee bit of why you initially thought maybe and maybe why they didn't make the cut? You know, Tired Sounds of Stars of the Lid has been one that has been with me for a very long time now. It's it's extreme ambience, I think. That's an interesting way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it certainly is. It's wow, un- it's un- fucking unrelenting. Yeah. ambience. Um, yeah, it's, it really makes you work at its own pace. Like there's no, yeah, there's nothing to skip to. It's it's like you're you're in and you're staying in. Yes, and and this particular album, I mean, it's like a double disc thing here as it's well. It's, two hours it's and long. ten minutes. Yeah, somewhere. yeah, it's 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 really long. But it's it's beautiful. It's I mean. Extremely it, beautiful. It almost yeah. seems a bit sacrilegious to say in terms of like nighttime sleeping music, but if you're in a darkened room and you're maybe not sleeping or you're you're you're, st- you're still relatively awake, putting on Stars of the Lid generally, but the, the tired sounds of Stars of the Lid, which is the album that Ben had originally mentioned, oh my god, it's fucking gorgeous. Like it's really, really nice and really patient and so incredibly mature. And it's like just the level of self-control that it must that's what I was just gonna say like the level of restraint in this is like next level yeah how did you find it next level 
I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Well, I, I mentioned earlier on, I think the third part of Great Confusal is one of the moments where Stars of the Lid really, the influence kind of shows through in some of your stuff. There are moments in some of your other albums, especially some of the segue tracks, um, but I think that that's one that's particularly strong. They, they've been they've been an influence for sure. I mean, especially on the first album. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, The yeah. thing is that your first album is so much more... It's not saturated, but it's much washier. Stars of Lid's a lot more pared back. I think the softer tones that you use in some of the other stuff as you go on later, yeah. um, as you feel a little bit more confident, taking out the high ends and things like because they do that sometimes. They use some very dull tones. They do, and, yeah. and the attack on things is next to nothing mm-hmm. like for the majority of the time, mm-hmm. I think, in their stuff. But this one in particular, like the Requiem for Dying Mothers part one and two, and maybe two of my favorite ambient if you want to call it that passages neoclassical ambient passages extreme ambience is a fucking extreme ambient neoclassical passages you know what's an an unenviable task is trying to put a sample of stars of the lid when we work in 15 second samples (laughs) (laughs) yeah what's that going to be it's going to sound like maybe I was trying to do you a (laughs) favour um what were the there was two others that you particularly uh, picked out as being ones but was it any Morricone was one of them well, I think the the good, the bad, and the ugly soundtrack deserves a honourable mention. Although it's not unsung, though, is it? That I think was well when we spoke about yeah, it. That it's was the one had the props yeah. it requires. God damn it, he's so good though. But yeah, he's fucking incredible. I think I just feel like I have to mention him whenever I get the opportunity. Yeah, he's like my I mean, favorite the, music. I suppose the whole thing is maybe there's a generation that don't don't get him as uh, much as others might. Yeah, they probably don't there's, listen to us, so know, they're probably watching Blue Peter. There are younger folk <laughs> coming through. <laughs> is Blue Peter still on? I have no idea, actually. I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I think it got done. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about all those badges? Meaningless now. <laughs> I, and no, uh, they, they're worth more now. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, you're, and you're, I feel we should leave this to last because other than Ian Beale, you have one other particularly unhealthy obsession in your life. I, <laughs> I feel like you're nearly you're nearly a convert, though, I think. <laughs> I'm getting close, man. Yeah. This is not the first time I've mentioned this on this show as well. No, I know. Andrew WK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any specific record by Andrew WK? Well, I mean, I would like to talk about Cadillac 55 for sure. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So what really makes that stand out as a an unsung album? I mean, can we can we not can we not agree that he might be a genius by this point? (laughs) I think Andrew WK is fucking great. I mean, but I mean Ben doesn't just like Andrew WK is fucking great. Ben, I'm not mocking you. I'm 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 being. I'm I'm with you. I'm trying to kickstart this chat. He actually thinks there's an actual next level brilliance to what's at play here, Uh and it's it's, it makes a compelling case. 
actually. I, I think he he's. I mean, we already know that he's a PR genius, right? Do, do we know? Do we yeah, do we agree with this? Yeah. I think he's he's so in control of what he does. <laughs> Do you think he's the same person? You know, I, I think he, I think he is. <laughs> but also, does it matter? Do you think he's a front for Dave Grohl? No, I don't believe that one. No, I don't believe that one. I mean, I don't believe that one either. Yeah. So why Cadillac? I mean, other than the fact that people probably know Andrew WK for Party Hard. Let's be honest. And I get wet. Was the uh, I get wet. Yeah, that's what everybody knows him for. So, but he has other he has he has other good pop songs though, like um, oh, what is that fucking one called, man? <laughs> the one that I played to you for like you hours. Your own songs. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's it? also got this album of fucking piano, like really fucking. It's like Philip Glass piano up until the. Very last second there. <laughs> the last minute and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where a riff comes in. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it was a 50 minute album of like Philip Glass esque neoclassical postmodern sort of very complicated piano stuff. And then a minute and a half of riffery. And then that's the end of the album. Totally bizarre. Like, I mean, it is that album does lend a little bit. It does lend a lot of credence to your theory that there's something next level going on there, and that it's not. It's something so eccentric about that. Yet it, it well executed. That is really quite strange and beguiling. I think. Yeah, he's he's a he's a very interesting character, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> like. Would you work with Andrew WK if you could? Well, it depends which one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I would, but yeah. I, I just don't know. Like, I, he's a, he's kind of an enigma. He's like I think he's he surpasses Apex Twin for yeah. the, this stuff. I, really, I think he does. That's a big claim. Uh, well, I think so. Uh, you know, I've I've seen I've seen videos of Andrew WK on the internet stating that he's not who he is. And have you have you seen this? No. Okay, right. <laughs> but then he then denies it in interviews and things like that. Yeah, but then in, in the next second has gone and said, "I this was not me. I'm not Andrew yeah, WK." Yeah, exactly. Like Steve Mike, I guess was there's a, there's a thing about Steve Mike here. Do you know Do you know no. about the Steve Mike thing? <laughs> this is all getting really odd. Yeah. This is like X Files season nine now. Steve Mike is this uh we don't know whether it's a collective of Andrew WK and Andrew WK and his dad, or maybe not his dad, maybe a collection of his fans. 
Yeah, it's it's very it's very odd. We need a lot more time to discuss this. Actually, this <laughs> we should do an Andrew WK episode. Yeah, I've been telling this motherfucker to do one oh, forever. Right. All right, well, I'll tell we'll you what, we make a pro- we make a promise if we do an Andrew WK album, we'll invite you in for that episode, please. Right, but you need to be fucking. You need to be prepped with notes about Steve Mike. All right, okay. You need to be all set up, <laughs> well slept. We'll go fucking balls deep in Andrew WK. I would love to hear you mixing an Andrew WK tune. Imagine saturating the shit out of an Andrew WK tune. I mean, there's so much to it. I mean, he, he produced like a Lee Scratch Perry record. He used to be in Wolf Eyes. He wrote Party Hard. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote Cadillac 55. He's a drummer from Obituary in his band. That's crazy. Is that true? They're, they're wow, the drummer in the original and that uh, Party Hard stuff was Obituary. Oh, shit. All right. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. There's another thing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, that is a mysterious note to leave it on. Um, I would put a little <laughs> X Files sample in there. Um, ben, it's been a fucking absolute pleasure, man. Yeah, thank, thank you, you for your hospitality, having us into your wonderful home, uh, and yeah, keeping you up all right. night. No, this just mean we, we can uh, let your wife back into the front room now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you are in the bad books. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, will thank her on the way out as well. We'll tidy up our snacks. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a real pleasure, and we I do promise, we do promise, if we do Andrew WK, you'll be invited. Please. Uh, Mark sends his regards that he can't be here, he's still down with Lurgy. If he can't stay alive, we'll get a Mark body double in an Andrew WK fashion, like we'll Paul McCartney going. before him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and Avril Lavigne. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. That's yeah, another. that was another one as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for listening. Thanks for taking part, Ben. Let's... Go home and be delicious. (laughs) You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.